This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com. I'm with Elaine Miller in Texas. How are you doing, Elaine? I am very well, thank you. Thanks so much for recording. This is a very short notice. I gave you just a couple of hours, <laughs> and, and I appreciate you willing to record. You do restoration on all kinds of things, but I'd like to focus today basically on ceramics and glass, if that's okay with you. Ah, uh, yes, that's fine. First of all, I want to find out what got you interested in doing that type of work, and what's your background? Um, I have a degree in uh, fine art, and towards the end of university, I was uh, pondering what am I going to do with my life now with this fine art degree, and happened upon um, a job posting for uh, a restorer. Hmm. And it was it was an apprenticeship training, which is quite unusual now, in the, particularly in the states, but becoming more and more unusual worldwide. Um, and so I uh, got that job, and it was working with the objects, primarily in ceramics and glass. Mm-hmm. And so the um, the apprenticeship was for two years, and I guess I passed that because the company kept me on. And I worked for them for 12 years, um, wow. just adding more and more skills as, you know, they came along, um, moving on into natural materials like ivory and stone, um, and then eventually lacquerware. And took, I took some workshops on uh, conservation of lacquerware. And then bull marquetry, which is a problematic beast all of its oh, own. Yeah. Bull is uh, tortoiseshell, basically. It's the tortoiseshell, um, brass, uh, right. and the two are cut together, so they're they're almost married together. And then it's on top of a usually a cabinet or a clock or something. So it's usually on top of a, a wood substrate. And so all three of them uh, deal with temperatures differently. That's right. So often you get it popping off and a big old mess. I have never seen an early bulwark table. Or, a donkey or... <laughs> is what it's called. It's called the the, the marquetry donkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there. And I've I've said that to many people is that every uh, every part of that object there has different ways of reacting to weather, and mm-hmm. so it always pops. It seems like it always pops. Is yeah. there anything? I know we're getting off topic here of glass, but is there anything you can do to bulwark to keep it down so that doesn't happen? Uh, generally a high tack fish glue is what's um, used mm-hmm. and Lee Valley um, has a, a nice high tack fish glue it's a, a website so you can use their adhesive and that's not going to upset things um, you know, you're not going to ruin the wood ruin the tortoise ruin the the brass mm-hmm. it'll be fine with that um, you, know, you just want to clean up as you go but the problematic thing is not really the gluing it's the then you've got to create some kind of rigging and engineering in order to keep that piece down while your glue is drying. So it usually takes you know, a good day or two of somehow having some sort of little bit of pokey tension right there on the point that needs to be flattened. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the more problematic thing is the rigging. I'm sure it is. I mean, you can't do, you can't, Use a book press or something like that. It's just no, especially when it's on a curved. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you 
yeah, when you've got these clocks and things, and they're very ornate and they're just stunning. But yeah, there's all these intricate curves, and yeah, you can't really flatten out. So I know we're getting. I mean, I could talk about this stuff for a whole podcast as well. But um, so you actually have to make some type of mold to go around something like that somehow. Yeah, sometimes, or you rig things. So coming back to ceramics and glass, um, if you're rigging something, there's you can get little sandboxes, or you can make sandboxes. You know, just often, you know, it's just stuff around the house. You know, a cookie tin or a box or something, and you fill it with sand um, or some inert material that's not going to upset the ceramic or the glass. And um, yeah, and then you have to kind of wedge your piece in there that you're repairing and trying to get the join parallel so you've got gravity gravity is your friend yeah right right the one thing that comes to mind right off the bat when i think about ceramics and glass is when do you turn away and say this is going to cost way more than it's worth or sometimes do you just go ahead because someone has such sentimental value with the piece and you just say look it's going to be very expensive and they say that's fine i want it done anyway does that happen? Oh, yeah. It happens. I think um, a huge part of the, the business is sentimentality. Um, uh, that call is never made by me. It has to be the owner um, or whoever is having the repair work done. Um, it, it's really almost a conflict of interest for me to assess a value to something and mm-hmm. then say, and I believe it's worth that and you should have it repaired. Um, I so see. That, mm-hmm. that would be wrong. So, I mean, people get like their kids' handprints, you know those little concrete molds that you can make with a kid's handprint. You know, mm. I've restored things like that because the you know, the, the child's handprint is is <laughs> no longer that size anymore. Grown up. Or yeah. you know, we've had women, you know, come into the shop and they were be weeping because it was the last thing that their husband gave them and it and it might not have much value, but it was the last thing that he gave them before he passed away, and so mm-hmm. so it's meaningful. Uh, I, you know, I repaired a plate from a mum. It fell off the wall, and it was a plate that she has very fond memories of her mother giving it to her, um, and she was very upset um, that it had broken, so I repaired that for her, and so now she has that, um, that her mother gave it, and I restored it. <laughs> <laughs> But do you ever get to a point where you look at something and you just say, it's just too much? It needs too much to repair it, get it back to the way it was originally or close to it? Um, Usually that will happen with um, dishware, you know, plates and and cups and things like that, um, because they won't be able to use it again properly. Uh, Now, there are some adhesives that I can use that... um, will render it useful where they can wash it. Um, mm-hmm. But usually it's, it's like the last plate that you want to offer somebody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so often I'll just say you might want to check replacements or, you know, on any of these websites or antique shops or something if it's a particular pattern. Um, you know, it, it depends on the condition. If it's just a little chip or something, that's fine. But if it's you know got some good breaks going in it, then yeah, they probably want to replace that. Yes. Okay. Now I talked to a gentleman in a podcast I did way back, maybe even a hundred podcasts ago, and that was about a uh, Meissen. He was a Meissen specialist, which is German porcelain, mm-hmm. and he was saying that you know he would collect a very early rare piece and not even care 
that it's broken. Now, the thought, generally speaking, is if something's broken, it goes down drastically in value. But when it's something really, really rare, it's really worth buying, you know, damaged. Um, What do you feel about that? Uh, well, I'm happy, you know, if they want to restore it or, or conserve it, it's really, that's when the, the conservation versus restoration comes into it. Um, so in case your listeners aren't familiar, conservation is mostly maintaining the, the item as it is now. Um, and, and maybe doing a little bit of fill work if there's things missing, but not trying to make it look like it was never damaged or mm-hmm. like how it was when it started its life. That's a, that's a real uh, good that, point. Mm-hmm. And that's more of the restoration side. So it depends what the owner wants. I mean, some people, they just cannot abide living with something that isn't mint. Um, and so that's when they want it flawless um, and airbrushed and the whole thing. I prefer not to airbrush. Um, and so, yeah, if somebody brings something that is like an old, old piece of myosin, maybe it's in two pieces or something like that, then, yeah, they'll want to get it back together so it's at least whole. And then, you know, if they want to go ahead and fill chips, that can be done. Everything is reversible. That is uh, a rule of the American Institute for Conservation is everything has to be reversible, so back to its original intent. Is that right? Wow, that's great. I heard an art restorer say that to me before. But I didn't realize that it crossed over into ceramics and glass. Oh, it's everything, yeah. Uh, there's sometimes, there'll be a very few rare cases when something you just, yeah, it, it'll be something very bizarre that you just, you're, there's no reversing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but those would be very, very rare occasions. And, and again, rarely with ceramics and glass. Ceramics and glass are pretty forgiving as far as reversing. No. The plas- plastics are a whole weird realm that are causing conservators fits. <laughs> oh, I imagine. I just spoke to someone that was restoring, believe it or not, a, a valuable doll that was actually made out of plastic. And she uh, was talking about the toning, the yellow toning. She was getting back to a normal color, and it was through some type of chemical. And she had experimented for, well, she's been doing restoration on dolls, for those type of dolls, for many years. And she experimented before she found the right trick to make it happen. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah I fixed a, a G.I. Joe prototype doll oh, really? many, year, many years ago. <laughs> so let's go the opposite way totally. Now, okay. um, I really actually like early pieces of ceramic with staple repairs. Ah, yes. And that, that had to have been an art all by itself. Yes, and actually it it is becoming quite a collectible thing. Um, people want to, you know, with the... If they have something that has staples in it, then often I'll ask them, do you want me to maintain the staples? And most times people do want the staples as part of the piece's history at this point. Um, so it's kind of a Victorian mm-hmm. uh, restoration technique. And, and yeah, it's, it's just part of the piece's history at this point. It's been restored 100 years ago. Most things are on a 100-year tre- treatment cycle. So the hide glues that were used then, um, the restorers knew that they wouldn't last long, and so that's why these staples were put in, is ultimately it would be the staple that would hold the, the, the piece together. Mm-hmm. So, so now when I get it, I remove each staple and, and mark, like this staple came from that, that groove, and, and so you mark which 
each staple and where it came out of. And then everything is clean. The old glue is removed. I use my modern adhesives and restore the piece to however the, the client wants and then put all the staples back in. Wow, that's that's amazing. Well, so let's talk a little bit about glass. Now, a lot of times I, I've seen where they'll take an edge of, say, let's just say stemware or something, and they just they grind it or, say, a, a bottle, um, a scent bottle or something like that. It's chipped along the edge, and they grind, uh-huh. grind and polish. Is that something that's recommended? What would How do you feel about that? Uh, if it's just regular, everyday stemware, uh, you know, if it's not uh, a high-end, unusual collectible piece, um, if it, you know, if it's just your everyday uh, Waterford or something like that, then I, I don't see a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've done that many, many times. Um, but, yeah, if it's a very unusual old collectible piece or if it's very thin, thin crystal, then just the vibration and the heat from the, the grinding can cause more problems. And so then I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. Uh, it must be a lot of time when you're working that you are a little nervous about what you're working with. I mean, I could see easily how things could break in your hands while you're you're trying to do a repair. That must happen when you're learning. Um, not as often as you would think, but yeah, oh yeah, it happens. You know, things jump off your desk and, and um <laughs> the gremlins. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, stuff happens. But fortunately, it's at the right place. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's right. It's like tripping in the hospital or something. Yeah, so you can, uh, you know, obviously you, you contact the client and your piece decided to jump off my desk. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I could see that happening in uh, earthquake country for sure. As far as glass goes, let's, let's say, for instance, a bohemian uh, colored glass like amber or something like that. And you're trying to match the color. Uh, do you fill like a, a a chip or something? How does that How does that work? Yes, I can fill chips. I, I love working with glass. It's actually one of my favorite materials to work with. Um, so it really depends on the glass uh, and the chip, and well, you know everything is just very individual. Um, some things you can just use a clear fill, and the natural color of the the rest of the body of the the piece will naturally just, you know, it'll tint it. Um, it won't tint the fill, but it'll look tinted. Um, and then other times, yes, you actually do have to tint it with various dyes. I see. Now, I know I'm jumping back and forth, but a lot of times uh, I will pick up a piece of ceramic and I'll give it the old ping with my finger Mm-hmm. Because uh, my father showed me that when I was young, like you can tell when something's repaired because it'll go funk when it's repaired, and it'll go ding when it's not. Uh, pardon me for the lame sound effects, but it'll sort of ding when you hit it when yep. it's not repaired and in fine shape. Are you able to make repairs so that funking doesn't happen, or does that just naturally happen? Uh, no, it just has to. It has to do with um, getting adhesive into the the brake line, and so if it's a stress crack where the crack doesn't end it, you know it, it's it has a start point but then it just kind of bleeds away um within the body of the piece it's generally called a stress crack and so you can manipulate adhesive to get in there into that crack line so as long as you can get that crack filled then you'll get that ding um but if 
the crack is not secure, then you'll get that kind of vibration clunky noise. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so as long as the piece is, is secured and stable and, and you've got glue in your and all the, the brake lines, then you'll get that ting back. Oh, wow. Now, a lot of times you'll look at ceramics and you'll see what they call a spider crack or I've heard it called a hairline or something like that. Sometimes uh-huh. it's only in the glaze itself. And what I have heard people do to eliminate that or dealers do a lot of times is take bleach and you know try to get the color out of it, at least so it doesn't show that way. But is there anything at all you can do with a spider crack or hairline? Uh, yeah, you can secure it with, um, again, these are conservation-grade adhesives, so they're water-thin. You can't buy them down at your regular um, hardware store. Uh, so they're, And you have to mix them to the hundredth of a gram. And Anyway, so yes, they can be stabilized with, um, with these conservation-grade adhesives so they don't spread. And it's kind of like the, the, what I was saying with the stress crack. Um, you know, that crack can can continue to run uh, if it's not been stabilized. So the little spider cracks, things like that, they can continue to run as well. It just uh, heat fluctuation can cause that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but as as far as the bleaching, that's just dirt in the joint, and so you can try cleaning it. You maybe use a little soft toothbrush or something. Um, to clean the joint and but if the dirt is really kind of down in there then um bleaching you can do that or uh using a steam cleaner wow so, steam cleaner How about yeah that? i have a i have a friend who highly recommends using uh, it's, it's basically like, like a dental steam cleaner like what dentists wow. use so i'm going to tell you a story and i can't remember if i told this on this podcast or not but the listener has to prepare as well as you it's it's a nightmare. This uh, wonderful girl I worked with for a short time worked at one of the big auction houses in New York. I'm just going to say one of the two big ones. I'm not going to say which one it was. <laughs> and in big auction houses, they have they, they have handlers that they handle everything, and you can't even touch it if it's. I mean, of course, if it's on your desk, you can move it or whatever, but you can't move it from one desk to the other. The handler has to do that. That's just the way it is. There was a a piece that had well over a million dollar bid on it. It was on the cover of their catalog. It was a fine Russian ceramic. The handler was uh, carting it along on a cart, and uh, his cell phone rang, and he answered it, and it toppled over and went into a million pieces. So uh, the auction house did the right thing. I asked about it. The auction house did the right thing because... They had bids in multiple millions already on the piece, and they paid the full price out to the consigner. Who knows what it would have happened if it had gone to auction. But when something like that happens, say the thing is worth 3 or $4 million, of course it's worth almost nothing, but it still has some value. Um, would you take on a project like that, that is like, say, in 500 pieces? Oh, I'd love it. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't the answer I was expecting, but I I, I like your answer. <laughs> you I really live, would. You'd love I the live challenge for those big jigsaw puzzles, and that's basically uh, it's actually an interview question that we developed um, at the shopper I used to work years ago. Is um, do you like jigsaw puzzles? Because mm. 
you know, uh, putting ceramics and glass back together is basically like a three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle. It's only going to go together one way, um, and you just have to work away at the pieces. <laughs> wow, but a lot of times something will turn to powder. You know, I mean, it just there's there's yeah. lots of just pure loss. We've had uh, people bring vacuum cleaner bags to us. Wow. have to pick through the <laughs> pet hair and, <laughs> oh. uh, and to find the teeny tiny shards. Now, sometimes, yeah, you can use those shards, but other times trying to fit those shards will throw the greater, it throws off the greater good. And so mm-hmm. you to opt not to use it because it's just throwing everything else off. It's, it won't fit in. And so at that point, if there is loss, then, then you fill it. Um, there was a huge piece that uh, I restored a number of years ago. It was a, a glass sculpture by Lino Tagliapietra. It's mm, a modern time. glass mm-hmm. glass artist, still practicing. And it was, I think, in 69 pieces. And it was a very complex piece. And so, oh, I had a battle with that thing. And, and it was a lot of engineering issues that went along with it. Um, and so... And there was this huge fill that needed to be done. Um, and so it, it was a love-hate relationship I had with that thing. And I'd push it to the back of my desk and ignore it and then uh, just be staring at it as I was fixing something else. All right, come back out here. <laughs> I see. So you a lot of times you have to get away from something and for a little while take a break from it and then go back to it. Oh, well, a lot of – yeah, you have to um, – as, as things are filling, your fill work – Oh yes. Dep- depending on the weather um, and where you are in the country, the fill work can take two days to set up. To you know, if it's rainy or cold, then it might take longer. And so you can't really do anything while it's setting up. So you you have to have multiple projects going at the same time. All right. Now I'm going to tell you what must be your pet peeve is the person that drops something, they break it, then they go down to the store and they get themselves some epoxy and they decide they're going to put it back together and it's a horrible job someone buys it from them uh down the road and they bring it to you and say hey can you uh can you fix this what do you do most times yes i can fix it um when it's kind of a lost cause is if somebody has used a silicon-based adhesive Ah. that stuff should oh you have to smack their hands tell them go home (laughs) throw that stuff out it was never intended for that despite the fact that it does say good for fixing teacups um no 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 (laughs) so what advice would you give the person that may be listening that actually probably won't send something to you but they broke their teacup in half uh, so the adhesive that I normally recommend if somebody wants to repair it themselves is a white glue like Elmer's hmm. because it's not going to hurt the piece. Um, and you're trying to get the answer, is it hard-paced porcelain or soft-paced porcelain um, out of somebody? Often they might not know. So you know, some people do get the difference between hard and soft-paced porcelains, but um, not everybody does. And so... It's it's the easiest answer that's not going to hurt the piece. Um, now, you won't be able to use that teacup. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it's a shelf you know, it's, piece, as they say. Exactly. If it's just going to be decorative, then that's fine. Um, and it's easily reversible in water. So if, you know, if they're gluing it together and they mess it up, then you know, they can soak it apart in water and have another go. Some people like to use um, super glue. And on a hard-paste porcelain... It's generally not going to affect it, but on a soft paste porcelain, you've ruined the piece. So that's why I would never recommend super glue. 
Now, a lot of soft paste, we're thinking of earlier pieces for the most part. Um, Well, even current pieces, um, things like uh, terracotta, where it's got an an absorbency to it. Um, yeah, if you put basically, if you put a bead of water on on the edge of the on the brake line, and it absorbs in, that's going to be a soft paste porcelain. Uh, and some things like stoneware, kind of in the middle. So again, it's just the the blanket statement to to answer is is Elmer's or a white a white glue. Excellent. Now, one other thing: a lot of times, I will look at a beautiful piece of glass. Say it's an Italian art glass, uh, Murano or something like that. And it's got a line right through it. Is there any way to actually eliminate the look of a line, a crack through a piece of glass? Uh, well, just with the nature of, gra- of glass, um, you'll never be able to eliminate it. But what you're actually seeing is the reflection on the brake. And so if you can fill that brake line, then really you, you lose about 75% of the visibility of that crack. You know, if you're up close to it and you know where it is, and if it's maybe a very smooth piece of glass, then, yeah, you'll see this hairline, but you won't have the reflection of the, the depth of the glass. You know, if it's a thick piece of glass and there are thin pieces of glass, um, you're still seeing the reflection in, within that break line. Um, but once you get glue in there, then... It just kind of blends in with the rest of it. Now, if it's a heavy cut piece, oh, then that's wonderful because then you're really not going to see it. Yes. So cut glass, another thing that happens with cut glass a lot is, say, like the hobnail or something like that, like they are chipped right off. And is that some type of repair that you've actually – have you worked with pieces that are cut and to try to make the faceting match? Uh huh. Yeah. So you can take little molds of um, of the other facets that are there. Uh, it, it depends, you know, if it's something that you can just build up, or if you can take a mold of it and then fill it that way. Um, yeah. So you can do that. Sometimes during the cutting process, the cut goes too deep and goes right through, and so you can fill that if it ends up being a bit of a leaky glass. Um, so yeah, and depending on the piece, you can make it so it's. Uh, it could be used again for holding flowers, holding a glass of wine, mm-hmm. what have you. Obviously, you wouldn't want to let too much alcohol sit in there. <laughs> yeah, I think that might make a <laughs> Drink difference. Drink it quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't think of a better way to end the show. So I'd like to ask you, uh, you've been a real pleasure. Since you do restoration of other types of objects, I would like to ask you back on the show sometimes if you're up for it. Oh, sure. I'd love to. It was great. So this is Martin Willis with Elaine Miller, and that's it for today. Thank you, Elaine. Oh, thank you so much. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com.